Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Kappa Half Full, the podcast. This is episode three with, you're not going to believe it, Peter Kurovita. Episode three? I thought I'd be on one. <laughs> but I only just, I, arri- I I only just arrived. So yeah, no, I thank you for having me. It. It's great to be here. Thank you for taking the time, Uncle oh, it's Peter. It's a pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure. I really want to ask you a few questions that was like, I've been seeing your journey. Mm. It's insane. I mean, you've been an executive chef in three restaurants and you've run your own restaurants around the yeah. world and you've been an ambassador for many companies yeah. and Dilma. Dilma as well. This is the one at the top of the pile. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I wanted to ask you very simply, mm. what was the point in your journey where you said, I'm going to be a chef and this is what I'm going to put all my focus on? Uh, well, that, that, um, I think yours, your journey that's just beginning was was a not planned, but obviously a lot more organic. You know, you're third gen, and that's yeah. amazing. No one in my family has ever been a chef, mm-hmm. and even if you think about Sri Lanka, when I started, when I set up, when I, I remember coming back and saying to my relatives, "I'm going to be a chef," and they just thought some guy in a in a kotu kare. Yeah. <laughs> oh my <laughs> like, gosh! I mean, being a chef wasn't that that regarded unless you were in hotels and I didn't obviously start in hotels. So my journey started when I was 15 and nine months in November, 1979. So at that stage, um, we just, we, we'd moved to Australia in 1974. It was a, it was a tough place to come. Uh, and we'd left Sri Lanka, the loving embrace of my family, the, you know, this incredible community and group of people. And we, we went into the frontier of, of what Australia was. They were asking for people to come from around the world. They needed people in the country to bolster it. My father was yeah. an engineer. My mother was a Montessori teacher. So they had the education and, and off we went. And it was a bold move for my father. I, I think, um, you know, I never stopped thanking him for, for making that move because this is his home. He loved Sri Lanka and he loved being in that warm embrace of his family. So, so moving there was, was quite difficult for him. But mum and dad knew that that was going to give us an opportunity that maybe we wouldn't have here. And we were, I was born in England and I left England when I was four to come here. So dad automatically said, well, let's go back to England. But mum said, no, let's try something new. And she, I think she said, you've dragged me around the world. It's my turn. And Australia had opened up. They were inviting people. It was a new frontier. It was an adventure. And so we came to Australia. So it was tough. And at school for me was even tougher. And so I disliked school immensely. But, you know, my older brother went on to be an officer in the Navy. He did a science degree. And now he's one of the best photographers in Australia. My younger brother did an engineering course with Qantas, became an aeronautical engineer, and now is a pilot. Uh, my mother, as I said, was educated. My father, and then there was me, who just said, "Listen, I, school has been really terrible for me. It really hasn't been a nice time." And I learned that you could leave school at fifteen and nine months. So I said to my father, "I'm leaving school," and he was supportive. But he said, "You have to find something to do." So he was really the catalyst for this journey that has gone forty-three years now, and. While I was living in Sri Lanka and I was in that house yesterday, I was in our ancestral home with my auntie, who's my, my, the last living relative of that generation other mm. than my mum. 
back into that house. And that house was such a nurturing, beautiful place. And I spent all the time in the kitchen because my Archie was there, my yeah. two aunties were there. The polar in De Hivola has been going for hundreds of years. And so we used to cross over there and, and you know, these ladies would explain the the medicinal values of food. Food was taken in a totally different way. And that to me really, look, it really, it really struck me. But when we got to Australia, it was fight for survival. I forgot all of that. My mm. father obviously remembered. So I left school. Uh, I think my school report said this boy needs to leave school and find an apprenticeship. Um, and I was happy to do that. But my father wanted to make sure that I, I ended up in a good place. So he said, okay, leave, but we need to find you a job and we need to find you a path. And there were, it, it was probably a, maybe six weeks went past where every morning he'd prod me and go, what are you going to do? What, what would you like to do? And I really had no idea. It was him one day driving down our local road and he looked at me and said, you like cooking with your grandmother, didn't you? And it was such a random question yeah. in, a, in a time when my mind was not there. Sri Lanka was this distant memory of, of love and warmth. I didn't miss it because I liked the adventure. But, you know, when he said that, it was like, yeah, I think I did. He stopped outside of a restaurant, said, go in and ask for a job. Like wow. just a random restaurant. And I was, I, I, I refused. And he said, fine, get out of the car, sleep on the street tonight. You'll see what it's like if you don't have a proper career. And I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. So I went and I knocked on the door and this young chef, Scott Milray, opened the door. And I, uh, my job interview was a lot different to these days. I said, my father's in the car. He's asked me to come and ask for a job. Do you have any jobs? And he looked at me and said, strange coincidence. Myself and my family were just talking that we should get an apprentice. I walked into the door. They gave me a knife. I cut garlic bread. I remember it clearly. I saw this incredible operation behind the scenes. It was also nighttime. And that was really good because people at school were always daytime. And so nighttime got me away from everything from them. And I just... Uh, two hours later, they said, would you like a job? And I was over the moon. I didn't really, like it was just stepping into this incredible threshold of a life that has changed my life. And um, I walked outside and I expected to walk home. Home was about 15 minute walk away. I used to do it from school all the time, but dad was still waiting. And that's a really emotional thing for me because it meant that he cared. It meant that, you know, he really, really wanted me to be successful. Mm. We drove home. I said, I've got a job. Everyone was happy. Next day I started. And, I, and, and that journey was, was incredible because I started to find this passion. The next day when I walked across that threshold, I thought to myself, you mentioned a few of those things. I thought, okay, what, what, is, what does it mean? And this is at the age of 16 and nine months. I, I don't know whether kids think that way anymore. But for me, it was like, all right, I'm going to be an executive chef of a hotel. I managed to accomplish that in Australia's most famous resort, Hayman Resort, plus one other. And I did it so that I understood. I wanted to travel. I wanted to be an executive chef. You know, I didn't want to just do this job for no reason. I wanted to have a pathway. And I was driven from that moment onwards to keep going forwards and upwards. And it really, really set my way i think you know my mother and father both very determined people so i had that determination they were also very hard working people so i had uh that work ethic hard work was nothing to me i didn't care about the hard work but i found that kitchens are fun 
they're full of crazy people. And I'm, I'm a bit crazy. I think you have to have a little bit of ADHD and a few yeah. other issues to go in there. But if you like the heat and you like the craziness and you like the, the way this dysfunctional but highly organized operation works, if you, you know, you scrub the kitchens, you get burnt, you get cut. You know, we used to, I still have old scars on my arms from years ago, you know, little bits of fingers missing. They were all, they were all, uh medals of honor you know they were all things that that you wore proudly and i and i worked and i worked really hard and that after the first year though even though these people were amazing they were they were they still continued the restaurant i did one year then i looked in the paper and i thought i need to progress and then i found another job which was an amazing restaurant it was down in laneway there were these two chefs sitting on a beautiful uh, vintage Alfa Romeo spider. There's bottles everywhere. And then this fancy chef. Sounds came. like it's out of a movie. Oh, yeah, fully. <laughs> well, this place was out of a movie. This was the hottest nightclub bar restaurant <laughs> in Sydney. It was called Rogues. You needed a badge to get in. Really? Oh, wow. It was full on. Every single waiter was a model, you know, and only the, the elite came in. And this restaurant was nestled inside of it. So people would come and see see the chef and it was hard work, but I learned incredible lessons. That, but that wasn't it. I thought, okay, that's good. I'm going to stick with this guy. And I did. I opened his other restaurant with him before I finished my apprenticeship. But during that time, I also thought I need to learn more. So there was a very good restaurant down the road, Mark Armstrong, and he needed people Friday lunch. So every Friday lunch, I worked with him. Then on Sunday... There was a great chef miles away and he, uh, Peter Doyle, called, and the restaurant was called Reflections. He needed someone on a Sunday. So I drove there on a Sunday. I was working seven days a week to learn my craft and I felt that was important to get because it's too hard a job. This job is too hard. I say this to the young kids all the time. You don't, it's not, it's not MasterChef. I'm sorry for everyone that loves MasterChef. I love MasterChef for bringing the reality of a kitchen to the people to show people how hard it is. But those people who are in MasterChef, they're not chefs. They've come in to do a competition. Some go on to be chefs, but generally they haven't had the cuts, the burns, the bruises, mm. the, the abuse and all the rest of it to cement themselves as a, as a real chef. Um, so, you know, I, I just wanted to continue to push and push and push and drive. And opportunities come, and this is for anyone in any field, you know, you need to float up. There are so many people in any industry. And if you're noticed, if you're the person that comes in a few minutes earlier, who leaves last, who really shows that you are the person who is next on the line. I was quite cutthroat. I used to look at the guy who was, who was put in charge of me and I'd think in my head, in three months, I'm going to take your job. Well, that, that was that's um, the confidence you had but it wasn't the confidence it was drive it was like why mm. should i be stuck here when i can go to the next stage i finished my apprenticeship the day after i left to go overseas and i was gone for nearly three and a half years mm. wow <laughs> that's the wow. beginning that's the beginning of the story this has been going on for 44 years yeah. and you know fame comes you don't chase it i didn't become a cook i call myself a cook i didn't become a cook to get on TV. I didn't become a cook to become famous. I became a cook because I like doing what I do. Produce excites me. See a fish in the fish market and you think, wow, you know, it's so fresh. Mm. You, you, produce needs to excite you. But the buzz 
and the the near nail biting fear of a massive service getting through it. You get through that. You pump out two hundred people with five of you in the kitchen, and you're like, yes. You, you know, afterwards you have a few beers, you have a chat, you laugh. It's a whole community of slightly mad people who love perfection and who have a drive to be the best they can. They support each other. There's nowhere to lie in a kitchen. You work side by side with someone for months, for days, for years, for many, many hours. And, you know, nowadays you get paid to do those extra hours. In the early days, 11, 12-hour days were normal, Hmm. and you just did it. You drove hard and you got the job done and you were happy with it. So in that environment where you're so close to people, it 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 was hot. It was um, intense. There were times when, you know, your tempers would flare. And, you know, thank goodness these days, the whole nasty chef hopefully doesn't exist anymore. I was, I had some serious nastiness put on me in physical and mental ways. And it made me think early on, I will never do this to another human being. I will try and motivate them to be better. And, you know, sometimes you can express your disappointment to someone which will wither them more than a smack across the back of the head. Because if you can build your team and if you can you can work with a group of passionate people, these people are so proud of what they do. They don't care about anybody else. We don't care about anybody else. We want the customer to get the best mm. we can possibly deliver. We want the team to work together to ensure that at the end of the night, no one has let anyone down. We make sure that, you know, you can see as you get close to that service time, you try and have a break before the service. And that's your timing is incredible. You know, I think sometimes when you look at why does someone get a degree? Look, I got a degree. I went to TAFE. I thought it was important. So I I didn't do, you know, all the levels that you have to do at school. But I went to college and I excelled. And I think at the end of the day, no matter what you do in any job, it's a piece of paper. You know what that says to the employer? It says to the employer that I committed myself for four, six, ten years to go to a certain place, to turn up every day and to study and to come home. And so when you get that piece of paper, it means that you're a committed person. Yes. It means, you know, it doesn't matter what the re- re- results are. I, I really don't think it does. But just to me, if you've done made that one exception, I had friends, good friends, we got to the last exam and they said, oh, I couldn't be bothered. You know, they, they went nowhere because that determination in any business, in any job you do, if you can prove that you can get from beginning to end, that is an achievement. And, and your employers and your fellow workers respect that. Can you, can you give me some advice on how I can build that mindset, you know, to sustain and maintain that drive? Well, if you don't like what you're doing, do something else. Mm. You do. You know, you are surrounded by this. And I think for you, you know, not just you, but anybody, assess what you're doing. You know, if if you don't think that it's for you, the passion is, the lack of passion is going to let you down. It's going to, look, some people are happy being a rickshaw waller. I mean, not many, but you know what I mean? Those people have to do their job. And they have a family to feed. So that's their motivation. We're lucky. We're in a situation where we can go, oh, I don't like doing that. I'm going to do something else. I think for anybody in any business, you've got to like what you do. Going to work. But there's two sides to that too, Amrit. Because there are people who work to have time off. 
And that's fine. You know, I, I spent uh, about six hours in a plane next to this big burly guy a few months ago. Mm. We had this amazing conversation. I didn't ask him what he did. He just said he loved what he did. But what he does, what he did, his mindset was, I work very well, very hard so that I can travel with my wife. Just before the plane landed, I said to him, so what do you do? He drives a garbage truck. He said, it's the best job in the world. He said, I get paid well. I'm by myself. No one hassles me. Yeah. But that job en- enables me to have my life with my wife. And so it doesn't matter what the job is. Either be passionate about it or do it well so that on your downtime, you can enjoy your time and feel good about it. My thing, I was thinking about it, you know, in the last, oh, God, many years, I rarely switch off. And, and I was saying to my wife, we, I need to find a time where, you know, I put time aside in my diary and someone grabs it. I'm now starting to put time away in my diary and that's for me. I'll go mad. I don't know what I'm doing. It's like your grandfather. I, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do. But I need to, you know, as you get older, you need to start making those, those, those hmm. times. But as far as your question, just be passionate or work hard to have an alternative. Um, they're the only two ways. Otherwise, you imagine sitting, going somewhere, trudging somewhere every day mm. and not being happy. True. You know, True. I, I don't get it. Our, our life is short. It's like, you know, you've seen all that TikTok stuff. There's 8,365 exactly. seconds yeah, in the day. Yeah, yeah. If someone gave you that every day, what would you do with it? You know, you can't take it back. You can't. So make every day count. Make every day, give yourself a couple of highlights every day. It's not, you're not planning for five years ahead, what's going to happen today? What happened yesterday, as long as you were good and you did did well and maybe you were nice to one person, that's brilliant. But just we, we live a short time. That's your work and your play and, and your family and everything else should be part of that. And I've luckily been able to manage that because I've always made time to take time off and go to a football match if I had to, to see yeah. one of my kids playing or whatever. So, yeah, it's a balance. It's, but I love what I do. Uh, I think about it all the time. And then, you know, today I was talking to your dad and we were talking about tea and I just got so excited just talking about it because to me, tea to me is an ingredient. And because you guys are producing so many different flavors, it's a chef's dream. So still, I get excited. (laughs) Yeah. My final question to you is about, um, and referring to a comment you made, you said um, chefs are made through hard work with scars and... Mm. It's your badge pain. of honor. Yeah, exactly. Talking, referring to the next generation of chefs. Yeah. The next generation is, I mean, we have a mentality of instant gratification. Mm. Thing, I'll work for one week and I can be an executive chef. That's not really the case, right? What is your advice to the next generation of chefs? Oh, you, I, you just said it. I'm right. I think um, you need to, you need drive. You need to... Um, spend the time like uh, there's a boy that works for me right now michael broad he's 15 years old he he was sort of the same same sort of uh, he ha- he has adhd he was on all this medication and uh, uh when his mother brought him to me i um i said to her yep i'll take him um and at first he was he was a bit dopey so i so i said to his mother 
when was the last time you got his medication checked? So, you know, it, 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 and she said, I never have. And so I said, go to the doctor, fix it. So they fixed that. But this kid is that, like that. He works really hard and he wants to learn. So, but he knows, like at 17, you're not allowed to drink, right? How could you be a head chef? Yeah, like you got no idea. You've really got no idea yeah. at 17. You shouldn't be a head chef. You need to, everything takes time. I mean, imagine if all the doctors went to medical school for a week and then operated on us. It's the same thing. You need to learn your craft. Yeah. So make sure that you do spend the time to make your craft, to learn your craft. Um, there are still people out there, Amrit, that have that drive and passion. There are still young kids out there who want to do it. My three boys, my middle son, who's 23, 22, 23, he's a restaurant manager and he is brilliant. And his work ethic and his his determination and his need and want to learn is incredible. Uh, my youngest son, who's 17, is actually a bartender when he's not at school. Um, and he's also got that drive. So those people are there. The people who we're if if we're if you're referring to anyone who doesn't think that they fit into that category that we've just mentioned, you're probably just doing it because you want to be famous. So number one, forget trying to be famous. Number two, you know you don't want to be on TV. It's not about the money. Try and push yourself as hard as you possibly can, and maybe even before you come in and waste my time, go and get a job. Mm. Like you know, I, I one of the questions I ask is, um, tell me your favorite chefs. Uh, who's uh, you know, and they might say a master chef. And it's like, well, you know, that's, I can see straight away what you want to be. Who's your favorite chef? What was the last cookbook you read? Um, tell me about what you think about ingredients. So, <coughs> excuse me, those people are, are vetted out very quickly. Qantas, the airline, has a great exam. They have lots and lots of people apply. The first question on the thing is spell the company's name. 60% are gone, Q-U-A-N-T-A-S. It's Q-A-N-T-A-S, right? Yeah. Bang. <laughs> oh, no. So that's, yeah. that means that the rest of them are invested in the company yeah. and they have actually studied a little bit. So there's little questions you can ask. I always bring the parents and I say to the parents, you know, this is, I just tell them what's going to happen. So advice to them, really make sure that your motivation is, is right and make sure you understand that you're walk, working into a very hard life which has lots of lots of benefits if you work hard. Mm. Um, the shortcut route doesn't last. You know, at the end of every MasterChef, there's a whole lot of ingredient uh, products in the supermarket shelves. They disappear within a week or two or a month or two or three months or two. But there are a few. Marion Gradsby is a great example. Poe is another great example. You know, they were all the first ones who've actually gone into the industry, but they haven't gone in as career chefs. They've used the industry to become, uh, I guess, famous, but they've actually put a lot of effort into it as well. So no matter where you go, um, make sure you the short answer, make sure your motivation is right and make sure you're going in there for the right reason. And they are none of the above, which is getting famous, making lots of money. That will come in any industry, in any business. That will come. How? With hard work. Exactly. Mm. Thank you, Uncle Peter. That's a pleasure, Amrit. I wish you all the best in your journey. You're amazing. It's great. You know, you have now taken, you are taking this company from your grandfather's dream to your father's hard work and determination, and you're bringing it to your generation. And, you know, for me, that's the generation I'm connected to because I have three of them. 
<laughs> yeah. And, you know, and I, I feel much more connected to that generation. And I'm seeing that, you know, your what the way you're presenting tea is the modern way of presenting tea. And that's what we should do. It needs to it needs to continue to evolve from how many thousand years ago? Two and a half thousand, five thousand. Five thousand years. years. So five thousand yeah. years this this product has been on shelves and been part of it. And we need to continue to re review, reinvent. We're never going to change change the taste. We're never going to change the production. I mean, people are changing the production. You are your company and your parents company and your family company is still sticking to those and that that is a good example of how the basics matter and in cooking we're talking cooking we're talking tea making keep the basics build that foundation stone make sure that you've got something to stabilize your entire career or your entire business but then Ensure that you stick with the times. You're doing that. You're with the times, baby. And it's good. Try I to love be. What, try <laughs> to be. <laughs> I love watching your stuff and it's cool. Yeah. It's cool because you're introducing tea to a new generation. And I hopefully will continue to create. And I'm always, I'm always coming to your father and saying, Oh God, we need to do something different. We need to do films shorter. We need to uh, bring tea and high tea and all of that to people in a different way. Your elixirs and all these other things that are coming along is brilliant. So uh, I, I look forward to seeing you grow and I look forward to getting old with Dilma. Thank you, Uncle Peter. Pleasure. I know you have a plane to catch, so. Yes. Ciao, ciao. See you soon. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you.